You are listening to Tax Able with Natasha Heron. Welcome back to Series 2 of Tax Able with Tash. During this season, I will take you on a deep dive into 12 different industries. Each industry has its own tax consideration and complexities. Together, we will discuss key points to help you feel empowered about tax for your business. In addition to the weekly episodes, I've interviewed a key player within that industry. Want to know how they've achieved their success? Or see whether their journey is similar to yours? Well, make sure you tune in each week. Hello and welcome to an episode of Tax Able. Today I am joined by Jeff Doble, who is the founder of Dexter's Estate Agency. So Jeff, for people that are listening who may not know who Dexter's are, can you just give me an overview of the company? Yes, hello Natasha. Well, um, we are a London estate agent. We operate in all sorts of markets across London. Quite a reasonable sized company now. We turn over about £150 million a year and I have 1,500 colleagues um, and uh, last year we helped 25,000 Londoners move home. So um, we're quite busy and um, we have grown um, over, over the years from a uh, single shop um, up to um, over 100 now. So uh, it's been quite, uh, quite a journey. Going back to the start, how did you um, come up with the idea of Dexter's? Well, I trained as a surveyor originally, and uh, so was interested in the property um, property industry. And uh, I worked for a smaller company, um, and uh, back in the nineteen eighties, long time ago. And um, <clears throat> in those days, a lot of big insurance companies were quite interested in the sector, and they bought up a lot of estate agencies, including the company that I work for. And on the high street, there were various agents that you won't see now because as corporate agents, they didn't actually fare very well. Um, so there was GA Property Services, which is, is now Aviva um, Insurers. There was Cornerstone, which was Abbey National. Um, the Prudential had estate agencies more than anyone else all over the country. And, um, and also the Halifax as well you know so those big four chains really dominated the industry for um probably a decade really i would think um but as i say they found it really tough to change small businesses really from um running in an entrepreneurial way to a corporate big company type approach um and all of them failed at it really and lost a lot of money um I moved from the company I was in and I worked for one of for one of them for four years and learned a lot, really. A lot of positives about running uh, a bigger company. Um, on balance, probably mm-hmm. mostly how, how not to do it, I think. Uh, they, they actually failed and they didn't do very well and there were good reasons for that. And I think those learnings were really important you know, in, in, uh, in running my own business in the, uh, in the future. Um, so that was, that was how I, uh, got going in, um, a business of my own was that I sort of ran out of steam working for somebody else. And, um, the corporate model was looking as though it was going to fail really. So, um, I, th- and I was looking at other, other jobs. I thought I could go and do something else, but in the end, you know, you, you, if you know you can do what you can do and you can do it well, then, 
then that's what you should do. And so the rest is history. Yeah, it's definitely better to make the mistakes on someone else's time. So did you always want to work for yourself? That is about circumstance, really. Uh, had my original company not been sold, mm-hmm. I'd probably still be there, I think. Um, and so the answer to you is probably no. Um, it was... <laughs> it was the whole corporate thing, really, that made me tired of working for others. And suddenly I thought, look, it's going to be a lot easier to work, work for yourself. Um, and that's how that came about. Um, and so we, you know, I sort of dreamt up a, a company and a, and a name and, you know, sort of got started in a in a small shop in in Twickenham in um, southwest London. That's where, where I started. So how did you come up with the name of Dexter's? Is there a story behind it? Most people choose their their last name. Yes, well, my, my last name is often mispronounced, and I think it doesn't. Uh, uh, it, it's not that easy. Therefore, it made sense, I think, to come up with a, a another another name over the door. Um, and I was with some friends thinking of names for my um, company, and somebody came up with Dexter's, which stood out really. And um, I'm a big cricket fan, so Ted Dexter was a cricketing hero of mine when I was younger, a bit like a Freddie Flintoff or a Ben Stokes. He, he was the sort of swashbuckling cricketer of the day. Uh, he, I, I read, um, he died recently and in his obituary, he was described as being fearless and dashing. And I always thought, well, that, that's a great sort of person to, uh, uh, nobody really asks about the name nowadays, but, you know, I think he remains a bit of an inspiration to us. So since you started the journey with Dexter's, and I think you started around 1993, have, is there anything you accredit to your success or any lessons that you've learned over the period? I don't like to use the term failures too much, but obviously we all learn when we make a mistake. Talking about your first question, which is, the journey really it was 1993 mm-hmm. when we started um and you know we grew bit by bit went from one to two to three offices um and you know it's been quite a, a long journey since then actually I don't know how long you've got but I could you know it's nearly 30 years um but I, <laughs> but all the time in the world good well there's two stories which kind of sum up um what's happened really if you like and um, the first was that we started um, doing lettings and that might seem an obvious thing for mm-hmm. agents to do now but back then it was a fairly new industry really because um, buy to rent, uh, buy to let if you like had only just got started you know you, it was only recently possible to do that back in the early 1990s and um, we'd got to the stage where our fees were about £40,000 a month. You know, we had a number of offices and things were going pretty well, but we had one bookkeeper and one property manager and it was a load of hassle. I mean, it's a, it's an it's a industry that there is an enormous amount behind the scenes that goes on. There's a lot of legislation. There's a lot of support work. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure that we were really wowing customers, to be honest. I think... Um, you know, I, I worked out then that lettings was better off done at scale. And what I really needed was a team of bookkeepers and a team of property managers who could really do the job beautifully. And I think when you were reliant on just one person as a small, relatively small business, it was it was really tough to do it well. Um, so I remember saying to my management team at the time that it's all very well turning over 40,000 a month. And we've done, we've done well to get to that. Um, <clears throat> but really this this part of our business needs to turn over 400,000 a month. You know, we need to be 10 times as big. And there were some doubters, I remember, you know, one or two people who sort of thought, 
really? You know, yeah. we're going to go 10 times what we're doing now. Um, but I started mm-hmm. buying some smaller lettings companies and to try and grow the business like that, uh, of which there were hundreds in London. A lot of people had started up quite small um, quite small businesses. And, um, you know, that helped us to grow. And then we got a good reputation and we started picking up a lot of London landlords. And we now work for over 30,000 landlords in London, you know. So that side of our business has, has gone well. And a, and a similar story about trying to recruit um, somebody to run the business alongside me. And I went out after a guy called Andy Shepherd, who is still our chief executive at the moment, really talented man. And he was working for a big company and I was trying to tempt him to come work for us. And I explained to him that we had four offices and we turned over a million and a half a year. And I said, in in 15 years, this is what we're going to be worth and this is what you're going to get out of this. And we're going to turn over £75 million by that time and we'll have 40 offices. Oh, and, wow. Um, to his eternal credit, he did believe me. Um, I'm not sure whether I entirely believe it. It was a mammoth <laughs> growth because it was 50 times what we were then doing. And um, anyway, life went on and we, we grew and we the business uh, was going nicely. And literally 15 years later, he walked in and said, you'll never believe this. I've, I've just found this. And I'd produced a fancy graph to sell this story. <laughs> and he presented it, threw it on the desk and he said, that's incredible because in, in the 15th year from when he joined us, we turned over £75 million exactly, like to within thousands of pounds. Um, and you can take from that what you will, really. But You manifested it. You're always thinking big. Hmm. At that time, we'd moved on and we were thinking about other things. But probably big plans and big um, targets are easier to achieve, really. Um, you know, you, project, you come up with something wild and actually you could actually pull it off. Um, but also that you should plan ahead. I mean, generally, we would always plan five years ahead. But to be honest, when you're, when you're building a business, you need to be thinking 10 and 15 years ahead and you've got to, okay, you, you may not get it right. You might not get it right as we did. But hey, look, it wasn't a complete fluke that we, that we hit the exact number. Um, because uh, it, it had clearly been in the back of our mind. So I think the uh, the lesson is that planning is good and perhaps more than five years, not a bad thing. Yeah, because you don't know how the market's going to change as well. But you have no idea. But those two things sort of illustrate, I suppose, how we how we uh, built the business. Um, you know, what, um, what, what I'm particularly proud of is our brilliant directors and managers that we've got right across London. It's a team game. So we rely on all of our talented and loyal colleagues uh, who combine to make the business what it is. Um, and, and particularly that as a group, we've still got the energy and passion that we had as a startup. And uh, that, that is really important to keep, keep that feeling going um, within the business, which we, we do manage to do. So you mentioned before that you purchase, you grew by purchasing um, smaller letting agencies. Do you um, think that's a good idea for people that are looking to grow? Perhaps people have just started getting in to, you know, launch their own estate agency business. If they were looking to expand or grow, do you think growth in that way is the better option? <clears throat> it, well, it, well, it worked for us because we were buying um, books of landlords, really, you know, who came with the business. Mm-hmm. But you asked about uh, challenges and buying another company is 
mm-hmm. probably the biggest challenge really because you are buying yeah. an entirely different culture and a, an entirely different way of doing things i mean we buy lettings businesses i can't tell you how how everyone does it incredibly differently and you wouldn't believe it you'd sort of think well you're all doing the same thing so it is very different and also not everybody likes joining forces with another company and so we always look at the people that we are buying and we we think probably a third of the staff are going to be brilliant and stay with us and love what they do Uh, a third will go quite quickly for whatever reason and another Mm -hmm. third will probably leave in you know in a, a a year or two and so you have to kind of you've got to be fairly tough because you've got to create a culture that is the same as your own and you really can't compromise you know because um you you know it is all about having a way of doing business and so buying other businesses can be incredibly problematical really you know? and it's a, it has become a bit of an art for us to to join forces with other um, other companies. I mean, other difficulties that we've had over the years, um, cash, I suppose, would be the biggest. Um, yes. You know, for the first 10 years of being in business, we were constantly overdrawn. All credit cards, all facilities, everything at max the whole time. And there's a seasonal pattern to our business. So we tend to earn more money in the uh, spring and summer and and then we burn more cash over the over the winter and um what what we learned to do was to was to forecast and manage that well so whenever we looked like we were going to get some money in we went and opened another office and so we never actually got into a better um cash position really you know but i think it was about 10 years and eventually by then we had enough offices that were doing well so we actually produced a positive cash position at the bank i remember it to this day it was very exciting in 2003 almost exactly 10 years in so you know it's a weird, that was a weird moment but cash is you know cash and cash control and cash you know really understanding where your cash flow is going to go fundamentally important really and that was something that we learned to do quite quite early on i bet it was quite daunting though constantly looking at your forecast and your cash cash position to not to be overdrawn for 10 years, you've got to know what direction you're going in and have a lot of belief in yourself to keep going. Yes, you're right. I mean, it is about understanding your business and how uh, the, the pipeline of business comes through. Because for, for us, if I if I take your property up for sale um, today, then it could well be anything from sort of four to six months until I get paid. Um, but I've got to do all the work, really. And so... Uh, in, in that and actually you might decide after three or four months you can't find what you want to move to and, and decide not to not to move so mm-hmm. um, from that point of view you've got to be confident in being able to um, to sell property to let it and to earn fees and to know when that money is going to come in and, and so we do have a lot of um, management information that helps us to call that really you know? um, so un- understanding your business is is important and it, it was certainly crucial to us as we were as we were growing because we grew out of our earnings so we didn't have funders or we didn't you know have have people come in and uh, and give us money you know we, we were dependent on um on our success in order to grow so do you I, you mentioned that you first got into lettings and then obviously you're in lettings 
residential lettings and sales as well. Do you think that agents should specialise in one area or should they have a mixed portfolio of both? Funnily enough, they're quite different skill sets, really, um, lettings and sales. And we have separate, entirely separate teams that, that do that. So um, if you were going into one of our offices, you'd see a, a whole lettings team and a whole sales team. Um, so we don't, mm-hmm. we don't really do both. But they are... Um, a service to property owners in London. So therefore, both of them are, have some synergy from that point of view. But we are a bit more wide ranging than that. I mean, we are a firm of charter yeah. surveyors. So, you know, we have qualified people at the head of all of our businesses. And we also do a wide range of other work from land and development advice to new homes, build to rent yeah. projects, estate and property management we do you know so we would look after whole whole blocks of flats and uh and and estates um and all all of the accounting and management work that is involved in that all of which is it's all related but it's that they they are very different um skill sets really um and we do various things like corporate services and to big companies and international relocation services and the, these sorts of specializations all come together so i I would be a fan in answer to your question of Mm -hmm. uh of of multi-disciplinary um firm a bit like a surveyors or a a solicitors would be uh, or accountants i mean you know but you do need within that your experts and your specialists i do find that the government at the moment is tackling lettings so they are imposing less reliefs and more tax on landlords. So I think it's definitely good to specialise or like have a mixed portfolio just because you never know what rule is going to come in. And it may mean that a certain revenue stream that you've got is going to be unintentionally impacted as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, lettings is forever being tinkered with by by government, really. Um, and, you know, the numbers of rules, legislation, regulations for a landlord now are, are huge really and um so in in some ways that helps us because we know how to do it and do it well and we can give good advice um the the yes i would in answer to your question about income streams the biggest one was where um agents were banned from charging fees to tenants what what had happened over the years was that in order to attract landlords some agents had started charging landlords less and then making that up with charges to tenants um, overall, it probably came out in the wash, but the the result was that um, tenants were getting ripped off by some companies and um, it made a big mm-hmm. difference to our income flow, really. Um, I mean, fortunately, we, as I say, we are quite a traditional agent, so we had always charged our clients, the landlords, for doing the job and the charges to tenants were relatively minimal. So it didn't actually impact on us, but for some companies, it 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 wiped out their entire profit line, particularly smaller firms, you know, that they were charging tenants yeah. so much comparatively that they then just didn't make any money really, you know. So they, you know, they really were competing a bit unfairly really by charging charging less. So, um, I mean, that was an example of where, of, of where the whole industry changed um, almost overnight with some legislation. But landlords legislation and, you know, is, is changing by the month really, you know, it is quite complex really. Um, 
but keeps us in business. So you, Dexter's focus is mainly in London. Have you ever thought about expanding nationwide? Not at the moment, really. London has kept us pretty busy, really. I mean, it's such a vast uh, place with so many different markets. Um, and, and we're very focused on different markets. I mean, we're, we're a big firm now. And we, you know, we, if you, if you counted mm-hmm. up the offices, then you could say that we were bigger than others. But we don't tend to count, oddly. Yeah. We like to be a bit to feel that like a small company and our focus is very much on, um, you know, on our particular markets, the markets that we work in. So for example, we're working hard in Wimbledon and Streatham and Hackney and Highgate, you know, these are really important businesses for us. And we're very focused on those. We don't have a head office. We, we have support teams that are dotted around in different places, but our entire focus is on, on our offices in particular locations and they are our head offices if you like you know and so we we want to be a we still want to be a small company even though we've grown and we still want to retain that that feel um and and but we are dotted around the whole of london and so to to repeat the, the quality of what you do in so many places is is a challenge really um we we think it would translate outside yeah. of london i mean london is just a very busy lettings market and therefore that has worked well for our business model but there are markets that um you know that we think that we could be in over time right now though we still reckon there's over half of london that we haven't even got close to so we're going to be kept pretty busy for a while i think yeah you've just opened an office down the road from me in tooting so you are now um expanding out to the tooting area yeah well we we opened in wimbledon a few years ago and that went well and we've always really liked the idea of tooting um it's one of those great places where um it used to be down the end of the northern line and um you know now it's it's a real um real sort of booming market exciting place to be um and we're in a lot of similar markets to that around london which we love you know places that are coming on we've recently bought a couple of companies down in southeast london and so we're in newcross now and peckham and places which my mother who was born and bred in London would say, oh, I'd, I'd never have gone there. Um, but of course now are, you know, mm-hmm. are exciting places to live. And so it used to be that if a, if a Waitrose was going to an area that um, that would be a good place for us to go. But I think it's now a microbrewery really, you know, if it's sort of, uh, if it's got a sort of um, yeah. trendy undercurrent, then um, that's a market to watch out for, you know. So yeah, we're excited to be in, um, in new markets and up and coming areas and uh, but I, I mean tooting we're just late there i mean it's already up and come hasn't it it's still it's still got some growth yeah yeah, yeah down my um road so i live in a road terraced houses and pretty much every single one is being developed into flats so now instead of it being occupied by you know one family you've got four flats five flats high so it's expanding quickly. It has changed. I mean, there are rows and rows of Victorian houses there, all of which are really, uh, are really lovely. And so there are a lot of family houses there as well. And people seem to be able to, uh, mm-hmm. um, to move around there really, you know, so no, we're very excited about being in Tooting. You're right. It's one, it, it was one of our, um, one of our projects of last year. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a market we think we can, we can do well in. You, you know, you have to, it's like everywhere you go, nobody knows you when you arrive. They kind of may have vaguely heard of you before. You know, it's how good you are in tooting that matters. It's not not anything else, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're very focused on, you know, on that office and on doing a great job for um, for p- local people, 
getting word of mouth recommendation, getting people to talk to us. You know, that's very much our business. I was going to ask you what sets Dexter's apart from other London estate agents, but I think you've hit the nail on the head by saying that you try to keep the small firm feel and that focusing on doing well in that area and replicating it. Yeah, I would say that's probably right. I, um, we, have a, we have an academy in London and where we mm-hmm. coach and train all of our staff across London. It's up in Pimlico. And it's kind of at the, the sort of heart of the company, if you like. We, um, we just train and develop all of our staff there and make sure that our culture is, um, is strong. Um, and, you know, our, our culture's at the heart of what we do because we're in so many different places, because you're trying to keep the same standard um, of, uh, of work for our customers everywhere, then our culture is, is really important to us. We're a bit, of a, a bit of a cult, really. It's all about our habits and our, uh, what we do, and we, we have our winning ways and our service standards, and we do things in, in a certain way. But ultimately, you've got to rely on the team on the ground to be entrepreneurial and to, and to do business. So you can have, have a, an underlying culture, but it does depend then on having great people um, who, who deliver the rest, really. But I, I would say that's, that is what, what sets us apart. Did anyone or anything inspire you um, while you were growing? Or um, I'll do a two-fold question because I seem to like those. Does anyone inspire you now? I would say, in answer to your first bit of question, I think what really inspired me, and still does to an extent, is that agent, estate agents have such a, a poor reputation, really, I think that when I set up the company, the, the biggest thing we want to do was to be really, really good at what we do and just set ourselves apart. And um, I think that I wanted people, that my colleagues, people that work with me, to feel proud about who they work for and what they did for a living. Um, and if you look now on, uh, on the internet, you'll see we've got about 40,000 Google reviews, at an average of 4.9. And... You don't get those by not being good at what you do, and um, because people are very mm-hmm. critical. So, and and they should be. They're they're paying us money. They want the job done, and they should tell us if they're not happy. So, you know, we we are inspired by do, doing things better, really, and um, that is at the heart of the firm. And how do you find juggling running a company and making sure that you're aware of its various tax? Um, implications or considerations it's good good question well again i'll answer that in two bits so i i i sort of as the company's got bigger so i've probably taken a lesser role really i've got a fantastic management team who who run the company and in amongst those is is a chief financial officer who is brilliant at everything i'm not which is um is keeping an eye on all the finances the the uh, accounting for the firm, the planning, the forecasting and everything else. And so we've now got a brilliant team to do that. So as the, as the company's got bigger, um, <clears throat> it's been easier. I think going back to when it was just me and I didn't have those sorts of resources, I sort of befriended a tax advisor quite early on and sat down with them on a, on a regular basis, really, regardless, rather than going to them with questions, I would tend to sit with them every four months and say, look, this is what the company is now doing. This is where I'm going. This is what, you know, I'm buying a company or I'm employing this person or I'm giving, setting up this bonus scheme. And, you know, by chatting to someone, so tax issues sort of came to light 
which they probably wouldn't have done until after the event. And we did, and I, I, as we got bigger, we got to a stage where I wasn't doing so much of it. And I think we lost contact a little bit with that tax advisor. And I think we made a couple of mistakes as a result. So I think the thing that I've learned is that you, you should be meeting somebody regularly and stick with somebody who really understands your business and knows what's going on because all of the tax stuff is all in context, isn't it? It's, you know, you have to understand the company. Um, and although you can read about this stuff on the internet, you know, so, so there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing better than somebody understanding your particular business. Really. Yeah, it's always better to talk to someone early on than um, for us to put out fires later down the road. Things you're thinking of doing rather than things you've done. Yes. yes. <laughs> and is there any advice you'd give to your younger self? Well, OK. I think that um, I don't spend a lot of time looking backwards, to be honest. I'm quite a sort of forward planner. So that's quite a difficult mm-hmm. question to answer really but i suppose to my younger self running a business any leadership of a business can be a lonely job really if you talk to people that do it they often say that fear is a big factor fear of messing up or letting down people that you've employed or or customers you know fear is a big thing and and i think i if i was to offer some advice i'd go back and offer myself a bit of reassurance and encouragement really that you know i was on the right track and if i kept doing what I was doing and doing it well that I'd, that I'd win through. Um, that might have saved a few sleepless nights. As, as it happened, I, put, mm-hmm. I, I made it through. But I think, I think you do worry a lot, really. And I think it is, it is lonely as a leader sometimes. So those are uh, a good things to remember, I think, is to have the courage of your convictions and to, and to believe that it is going to be fine, that, that you know, you're probably not making mistakes, really. Uh, looking back, it, it's been a brilliant journey and I've loved every minute of it and still do. Well, you've been very successful, so you've definitely made the right decisions and you've got the outcome that you wanted because you met your target after 15 years, was it? Yes, that was well, that was our first one. So we, we, we've obviously got different targets now. but yeah, One of many targets. Some good milestones <laughs> along the way, some really good milestones along the way. And I think that uh, those, those are important, really, as I've explained in terms of planning and in terms of re- really thinking as far ahead as you possibly can, really. Um, but yes, it's... it's uh, it's a great um, it, being in business and running your own firm is a brilliant um, is a brilliant thing and the advantages and the positives and uh, the, the colleagues that you work with are far outweigh all of the uh, all of the challenges. Well, thank you for taking the time today to uh, speak to everyone that's listening um, about your about Dexter's and about its journey. And if anyone is thinking of starting their own estate agency or is just interested in any tax considerations within that industry, then please make sure that you have a listen to the separate episode. And I will be looking at any, I'll be looking at the tax implications in detail. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. You are listening to Tax Able with Natasha Heron. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please click subscribe to listen to new episodes as they're released. Make sure you're following on Instagram, TikTok, and the newly launched YouTube channel. 